Canto 15 of The Paradise begins with Dante newly arrived in the sphere of Mars. And it's going to begin to unpack just what this domain of reality, just what the nature of this heaven is all about. Some of the themes have been indicated towards the end of the heaven of the sun. You remember that the heaven of the sun was about seeing through what appeared manifest into more nuance and subtlety and also how seeming contradictions and differences can become springboards for transcendence that enables more depth to be seen beyond apparent paradox. We'd seen that in the different wisdom uh, visions of the various characters we met who on earth were in conflict and now in heaven are singing different parts of the divine whole. And Mars has already been indicated by Dante to be the sphere in which many parts of those differences find their harmonic unity. Mars has already been associated with music. Mars has also been associated with inner sacrifice, this sense that to join the divine whole requires receiving all that you've been given, but then offering it back, making it itself a sacrifice, so that you, in your particularity, having received what you've been given, can nonetheless become more capable of more than just what would otherwise be a limited part of yourself. So sacrifice enables us to consciously receive and consciously give back in order that we might know consciously the whole from which what we were given arrived in the first place. There's also been an intimation in the sphere of the sun about for we mortals, the relationship between what you might call our spiritual selves and our material selves, and how in the fulfilment of all time, those spiritual and material aspects seemingly in contradiction will actually come back together in a new creation that's able to enjoy the divine whole all the more, even more. Remember Solomon has explained to Dante that the, the eyes with which um, they will be able to see the divine won't be like mortal eyes that can't stare into the sun, but will become capable of divine sight and so be able to stare into the heart of God's brilliance. Now, as if to show that towards Dante, at the beginning of Canto 15, the souls that had been singing around him as he arrived in Mars um, the ones that had been beyond his capacity to understand, that had left him almost in a kind of trance-like state as they danced in this vision of the cross, they fall silent. And Dante explains that it was in the magnanimity of their true love that they fell silent, as opposed to false love, which leads to self-inflation. These souls, even in their bliss, lessen their dance, lessen their music, lessen their brilliance in order that Dante can stand alongside them fully as who he is, still a mortal even though he's in the heavens now. So they sacrifice something of who they are in order to 
show some of the divine love to Dante. There's another detail about the sphere of Mars that's worth holding on to, which is that in medieval astronomy, Mars was said to be the first heaven that fell outside of the shadow of the Earth. The Earth's shadow was said to fall across the earlier spheres. Um, this is reflected partly in the fact that Mercury, Venus, the Moon, of course, show phases, and the Sun's shadow can be seen to, to fall across the face of the Sun every so often during eclipses. Um, so um, Mars is significant because it's the first planetary sphere where mortal life, the sphere, the shadow of the Earth, um, doesn't directly affect it. And so Dante, as a mortal, is having to encounter a way of being that is going to stretch him even more than the earlier heavens have. Um, we've seen that in the earlier heavens where there's always been some sort of reflection of the mortal life and the immortal life in the souls he's encountered. Um, well, that is going to be transcended now. And Mars, when it's related to the sacrificial element, is showing something of how that's done, which, to cut to the chase, is that the souls that Dante will meet now, whilst they were on Earth, sacrificed their mortal life for immortal life. They knew, if you like, where their true being lay. They knew of their divine side, even whilst they were alive on Earth. And so part of their soul, even when they were alive on Earth, lived beyond the shadow of the Earth was already living in the heavenly realms, um, consciously living in the heavenly realms, I should say, because, of course, all mortal beings have their immortal parts, and that's part of what it is to have a soul. But these figures that he's going to meet here in the sphere of Mars were able to live aligned with that immortal part of their divine double, even when they were alive. And in particular, in Mars, it meant that they were prepared, were able, were able to welcome the martyr's death because they knew that their, that their mortal life was already being sacrificed to immortal life. But not just blindly sacrificed because there's this tension here where you need, as a mortal, to have your mortal life, to be someone, to be an individual in order to offer that individuality up. And then that individuality is returned even the more gloriously in the heavens. And as Dante now stands with the music and the dance quietened around him, he notices that in the cross before him, one of the souls moves along the horizontal beam, then to the centre. It's very significant. It moves to the centre, then it moves down. Um, and it then stands before Dante, and he says that it approached him like a meteorite flying through the sky. Um, I think even that description of the light's movement shows something of its sacrifice, because of course meteors, you might say, throw themselves into the atmosphere in a blaze of glory, and they give all they have for their display. Um, and that's very much in this uh, sacrificial mentality, this sacrificial offering. Dante the poet then makes a reference to Aeneas who had visited Hades and whose father 
as a soul, as a shade, had rushed towards him, um, Anchises. And Aeneas had had to go to Hades in order to find out about his vocation, which his father was then able to help him understand. And so there's an intimation that this soul who's rushed towards Dante now is going to perform some kind of parallel service for Dante. The soul then speaks to Dante in Latin, um, the commentators say in quite a formal voice, um, and it says, O blood of mine, O grace of God, to whom else has heaven's gate been opened twice? It's got quite a ritual feel too, and in fact some of the more esoteric commentators on the Divine Comedy note that the sphere of Mars has quite a heavily, a heavy feel of an initiation rite, um, a mystery rite, um, and this O blood of mine, um, the discussion of heaven's gate opening twice, um, could refer to the mystery practice where the rite takes you through a dying before you die, so that when you come to die you know what will happen at death and so are able um, to have hope in this life and know better how to journey into the next life because you're able to make yourself more capable of that in this life with that initiatory knowledge. Dante the pilgrim finds himself amazed by the brilliance of this soul stood before him. Um, he's quite spellbound for a moment and then he turns to Beatrice um, as he often does when he needs um, his guide in these moments where he himself is being invited to a more transcendent place, to know reality more deeply and intimately. And he remarks that he himself felt like he might have already arrived in the Fuller's Paradise um, with these two individuals beside him. Um, he's not quite clear yet who this new soul is, although very shortly he's going to reveal himself as Catua Gida, who is Dante's great-great-grandfather. And so Dante is stood between the mortal aspect of himself, um, his great-great-grandfather, from whence he has been born, and Beatrice, who is representing his divine double, um, the wisdom and love that can carry him all, way, all the way to the Godhead. And so in a way, he's right to intimate that his bliss is at least in potential, and hence him glimpsing it, fulfilled now, because he's got both his human and his divine aspect. He's got his mortal and his immortal aspects. Here stood before him, Kachuagida, without saying who he is yet, um, starts to speak. But Dante says that he couldn't yet understand him. He was speaking in words that were too divine, that came from realms that mortal ears can't comprehend and you get the sense that um, he knew it was full of love, it was full of insight and wisdom even if he couldn't hear it but gradually as this soul reaches out to him so do to his words and Dante finally captures some of the words um, and they're very um, lofty words but nonetheless ones that he can understand because they, first of all, praise the Trinity, the three in one, um, this mystery, this paradox, which for mortals stands at the horizon of our understanding of God, but also explicitly says um, how wonderful to see this, um, my seed, 
So Dante is realizing that Cacciaguida um, is um, a relative of his. In fact, Cacciaguida then says um, he has longed for this moment. It's been written in the book of the future that he would greet his great, 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 great grandson um, here in this heaven, even though it seemed impossible because mortals don't travel here. And so it's with incredible delight that he shot like a meteorite out of the sphere of the Mars to stand before him now. He then says to Dante that he knows what Dante wants to ask because in this sphere of heaven all the souls gaze into the divine mind and so see reflected back to them what they can comprehend of the divine mind, which in this case includes Cacciaguida knowing what Dante wants to say, much as Beatrice can too. Um, it's this divine understanding of telepathy. It's not the transmission between two isolated minds. It's the sharing in the divine mind that enables it. But Cacciaguida says, I want you to speak with your own words of your desire, using your own voice, bringing yourself fully into the sphere of the Mars, um, with all the intelligence that you have, and because this bringing together of all your aspects, as it were, is so important for being able to fully and consciously travel through these heavens. Plus, I think it's going to give Cacioguida even more delight to hear Dante's voice, as much as it is to see his presence. I mean, remember in the sphere of the sun, we'd heard how the souls had been delighted that they would receive their transformed bodies not only for their own sakes, but for the sakes of their family, for the sakes of their beloveds, because that would increase their joy as much as um, their in individual joy too. And there's something of that here, I think, with Cacioguida wanting to hear Dante's voice um, so that he can share in the joy of this moment. And remember, the heavens are full of superfluous joys cascading all over the place. That is very much part of the creative dynamic. Dante then turns to Beatrice, um, his divine aspect for the strength to speak with love and intelligence beautifully combined and does so as best he can. He first of all acknowledges that you soul stood before me uh, much as you Beatrice stood beside me. Speak with a perfect balance of love and intelligence, of will and desire. That is what it is to know the divine life in all its fullness. That is why you're here. But I'm still a mortal, even though I'm here, and so speak in an unbalanced way. He says that the two wings of love and intelligence in mortal life aren't equally feathered, um, so they can't, as it were, fly in a beautiful swoop up to the heights, but tend to spiral around and around. But it's so interesting that he puts it that way here in the sphere of Mars, because in a way what he's doing is he's offering his mortal aspect in order that it might become more divinely inspired. He's in the right dynamic here for the sphere of Mars, even as he's acknowledging that the way that he can speak, his poetry, his understanding, um, his insight, is not of itself going to be up for the fullness of Mars. Well, acknowledging that, but offering it nonetheless, is very much how to move further into the sphere of Mars, into this new 
aspect of reality beyond the shadow of the earth, beyond the sphere of the sun, Kachua Guida then reveals definitively who he is. He says that he is the great-great-grandfather of Dante. And the second half of the canto um, is devoted to quite a lengthy description of the Florence into which Caccio Guida was born, several generations before Dante's Florence. And it was the Florence that was more connected to its divine source. Um, it reads as quite a utopian account of Florence, but I think the point of it is that Caccio Guida saying this was a Florence that knew of its divine glory, it knew of its heavenly virtue, and so was able to align itself with those qualities, that which has gone so wrong in the time to Dante's own generation, where the civil wars of Florence and then between the other city-states had so ruined people's lives and ruined the past, um, because they had lost touch with the divine wellspring from which they were sprung, um, which Dante's heard about in earlier cantos. Um, so this again is emphasising now here in the spirit of Mars for Dante that he can get in touch with the deepest, uh, richest, um, most glorious part of his mortal self, um, his bloodline if you like, which for all the confusions of Dante's immediate life nonetheless taps into a deeper nobility that Cacio Guida represents as he stands before Dante now. So Dante is able to get more deeply in touch with that aspect of himself, which he must do in all its fullness in order to bring it into the heavens, to offer it as who he is, in order that that offering can then be received to transport him who he is further into the heavens. There's a parallel from therapy that helps me to understand what's going on in this canto. Um, it comes from what's sometimes called constellations therapy, which is particularly interested in intergenerational aspects um, of our lives, and particularly um, whether intergenerational aspects can trouble us, um, you know, maybe traumas or secrets, um, problems in earlier generations that get passed down and so are remembered by problems that show up for subsequent generations. And when life really has gone very powerfully wrong, one way of helping the individual in the here and now to reconnect with the life source, with um, the qualities that can enable them to live well rather than just be stuck um, with these intergenerational characteristics, um, is to work out which generation wasn't tainted, wasn't damaged by the thing that's causing the problem and to put representatives for that generation in, encourage the individual now to, as it were, look back, to feel connected to those earlier generations, to feel the love and the life that they can still get in touch with and receive now, in spite of all that's gone wrong. And that very often enables the individual then, as it were, to turn around and to face their own future free of what has been troubling them or at least aware that whilst there's a side of them that is troubling, there's also a side of them that has a purer quality, um, that has a more powerful life force, therefore, that can propel them into a different future, can resource them to take steps forward. 
And I think in some ways that is what's happening to Dante now and why Cacciaguida explains this at such length and why Dante the poet has recorded it at such length. And because Dante the pilgrim is taking that aspect of himself fully in, he's drinking of it. Cacciaguida, if you like, is offering um, in a sacrificial gesture all that life to Dante so that Dante can receive it in order to then pass it on as he moves on. And Cacciaguida is a good person in Dante's personal past to connect with because, as he explains towards the end of the canto, his life on earth had ended because he was involved in the Second Crusade and he had um, died a martyr's death in the Second Crusade. Um, the Crusades are complicated things for us to think about now for all the obvious reasons. I think that in the spiritual sense, the Crusades were an effort in themselves to offer what you had in order to reconnect with a spiritual wellspring, which was the city of Jerusalem on earth. Um, St Bernard of Clairvaux, when he launched the Second Crusade, felt that Western European Christianity had become uncoupled from its spiritual source and so had preached the crusade to enable people to reconnect with the spiritual source of the Christian tradition. Um, it brought bloodshed, it brought horrors too, um, but um, that was, as it were, its spiritual counterpart. Um, they become a, became a kind of pilgrimage to the Holy Land to do that spiritual work. Um, Caccio Guida clearly was part of that Second Crusade, um, he was killed um, during a battle. But dying the martyr's death um, isn't just to glorify um, the earthly enterprise, um, but here in the sphere of Mars is to accentuate that he was in touch with this higher aspect of our life, with the divine double, and so was able to offer his mortal life um, even whilst he was alive. He's giving some of that life to Dante now, by remembering Florence in its earlier times when it too was more um, closely and intimately in touch with its divine wellsprings. And indeed, the canto ends with Caccio Guida explains to Dante that this isn't just good because people were more fully human by being more fully in touch of the divine, um, but they also lived more peaceful lives. Um, and the word peace actually ends canto 15.